Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Friends, if you would join with me in the Bible that you brought or your Bible app or the Pew Bible in front of you, our text today comes from Galatians chapter 4, verses uh, 4 through 7 and then 19 through 20. Let us now hear the words of the Lord for us today. But when the fullness of time had come, God had sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. My little children, for whom I am again in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I were present with you now and could change my tone, for I am perplexed by you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious Lord, On this, the first day of the week, we begin again here in this sacred space, in this sacred hour, coming to hear your word read and proclaimed. So may we have ears to hear, hearts that are receptive, and lives seeking a change so that we would leave this time together with you, not as mere hearers of your words, but as doers of your words. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So some years ago when we were up at Lake Junaluska for annual conference, there was in the week, there was a gap where there was some free time. And so my family and I went over to the town of Cherokee, to the Cherokee uh, Native American Reservation over there to explore and learn about their culture. And part of that trip involved maybe taking a visit to uh, the Kuala Arts and Crafts Store just to kind of see what some of the residents made and how the different crafts they came up with. And there was one that really caught my eye. It was a, a carving, a wooden carving of a bear by a man named Sam Taylor, and I liked it so much that I bought it, and it sits just over here in my office on my shelf. And every once in a while, when I go to pull a Bible or a book or some other resource off my shelf, my eye catches that carving, and there are times where I just sort of look at it and realize that it comes out of a block of butternut wood, and to think that somewhere, at some time, Sam Taylor, he had this vision. He was able to look at a block of wood and to see a bear within it. And then he had the skill to slowly chip away at the outer edges of it and to start making finer and finer cuts until the shape began to show up. And then he had the patience to whittle away a little bit more 
and then to smooth it out to where it looked less like a block of wood and smooth and shiny like a bear. And then somewhere in there, he had the whimsy to bring it to life by carving in the eyes and the nose and maybe even a little bit of a smile for a mouth. And so marveling at this whole thing this week as I was preparing for the sermon, it came to mind, it doesn't say how long it took Sam to carve this, but it's obvious that there's a labor of love in this. And I think about what God has wrought in my life and in our lives and realize that it didn't just happen instantaneously, that it was this labor of love. You know, we often think about creation and what we see around us and we talk about how God created and is still creating, that God is still at work forming all of the world around us and even down to you and me that God has a vision for our lives, that God can see so much more about us than what we see in the mirror. And with skill and patience and maybe a bit of whimsy, God brings out all of that in us. So thinking about that, I was thinking about what Paul is writing about here, this idea of a new creation. It sort of picks up where Paul left off last week in chapter 3 of Galatians, he's still talking about the law and the purpose of the law. Now remember we talked about this idea that the law, it's, think of it in terms of form and structure, like a guardrail on an interstate or the bumpers on a bowling alley to kind of keep the ball in the straight and narrow. The law was instituted to help the Israelites to sort of have form and structure for their lives and their society before the coming of Christ. But then what we know, because we have the rest of the story in our hands, with the coming of Christ, it ushers in a new age, an age of grace. See, Christ comes in the world to reconcile and make new, to clarify the relationship that God has always desired to have with us a relationship of divine parent and us as children, not where God was a judge and we were either obedient or disobedient. And so what we learn from the text today is learn about how God works through grace in Christ for our benefit and for the world. How God is still forming the world around us. How God is forming us as heirs of this promise. And how God is forming us and pulling us together as a community of believers, all through this idea, this gift of grace. See, at creation, we know from, if we go all the way back to Genesis, that God had a vision, even before God said, let there be light, God had a vision for this idea of what God wanted out of creation. It was this perfect desire, would be perfect creation, that per humanity would be perfect, that we would have free will, but that we would be in a perfect relationship with God. And what we know from reading Genesis, we know that for a while that, is, that existed. Creation was perfect, humanity was perfect, and even with free will, we were in a perfect relationship with God. We were in community with God. We were in community with each other. We trusted God to provide for us, to lead us, to show us the way we cared for each other and we cared for the world. But somewhere things ran amok, didn't they? Somewhere our own idea, this gift of free will that we had, we began to make choices. We began to be in competition with each other. 
We began to live in a land of selfishness and self-importance, and thus what we know as the fall happened. And in the midst of that fall, blame starts to be shared. Remember what happens when God seeks out humanity, seeks out Adam and Eve and finds them hiding and says, why are you hiding? And they say, because we're naked. And he says, wait, who told you you were naked? And Adam quickly goes, she made me eat the apple. And she goes, "Uh, the snake made me eat it. And the snake's like, "Uh, I got nothing. But quickly we've sort of pointed blame in other directions. Our own free will, it wrecked all of creation. And it begins this long road to reform where God really wanted to bring back and to restore what was there, that perfection. We know from reading the Bible that humanity sort of went along its way, this self-importance, this this selfishness, it created wars and infighting and strife and turmoil to the fact that God finally said, enough, I'm going to clean the slate and start all over again. And so with the great flood, God did just that. And we know how the story continues. Free will still is in the mix. People are still looking out for themselves. And so what happens is the people finally need themselves. They they have the promised land and they're they're led to the promised land by Moses. They're given the law, but the law is not enough. So then they need judges to help adjudicate the law, but that's not enough. Then they need kings to rule them. The whole time God's saying, no, you don't need any of this. You've got me. But nothing got our attention for the long term. And so what we begin to understand as we read this sacred text, we know what happens, that creation is broken, that humanity is broken, that God's dream and vision for the world is broken because of our mistakes. But what Paul writes in verse 4 of this chapter of Galatians, he writes, that something broke through all the clutter. Something broke through all the mess. What he says is in the fullness of time, God sent a son born of a woman under the law, meaning that this was a woman who was under the law but was righteous. She followed the law faithfully. This is God breaking through. This is God busting in saying, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to do a new creation in Christ is what we know. That Christ came to reconcile the world, uh, creation, humanity, you and me, to reconcile us to God and to make things new again. And this is the moment when when God bursts in through Christ that he's forming the world again, this idea of a new creation. That's why we talk about time. And just think about time in general. We look at history. There's BCE and then there's AD. There's a reason that the clock switches at that moment that the calendar page turns. It's a red letter day in the history of the world because God busted in and changed time. It's an intervention like the world had never seen before where God said, I will walk among them. And so instead of wiping the slate clean with destruction, as what we saw with the great flood, God wiped the slate clean through love, through grace. God created the world anew out of the sacrifice of his son. That's costly grace. 
And so what we begin to realize is that God has been forming a new world through this gift of grace. And in that, that God is forming us as heirs, as children of this promise. See, what Paul desperately wants the church to see is the gift that we have been given in the grace of Christ. So as we read in verses 5 through 7, because Christ reconciles, we are adopted into the family. And because we are children, the Holy Spirit allows us to cry out, Abba, Father. Now, it, does, it says, Abba, comma, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word which means Daddy. So this is a closeness of relationship. It's not Father, like ultimate respect, but distant. This is close as right in our sphere, as right in our presence. And because we are children, we are heirs through God to the promise of this new creation. Friends, this is a rich inheritance that is poured out for us. I mean, we live right now. Right now, we are worshiping in the sight of this inheritance. I mean, think about this building in which we worship. A hundred years ago, there were families that said they had been so inspired by their faith journey that they wanted to build an outpost for worship, for discipleship, for service, and for witness. And they said, we will build it here. Some of these are maybe lineagely wise, your families. But all of us inherited this place. Because they inherited a place that provided the same for them. See, friends, we are sitting in the shade of trees that we did not plant. This is not ours at all, but this is God's. This is this inheritance that Paul is writing about, this sense of gathering together in community. I mean, think about the idea of an inheritance. We think about that in terms of legal terms. It's a will or an estate. What it really is, it's a gift that's been given to you, a gift that you haven't earned. You can't earn an inheritance like wages. It comes not from your labor, but from that of others. And so we think about this idea of what Paul writes about, about a divine inheritance. This gift of grace is given to us. We cannot earn our salvation. Friends, you can go out here and do all the good works you can do, but you can't earn your salvation doing that day in and day out. It's not a works righteousness, no. Salvation is by faith alone and faith in the one who came and died on the cross for us. That's called grace. And so what happens is this gift, this inheritance we have, it comes from our relationship with God, understanding by faith. It's not anything earned, it's formed in us. Where God whittles away the rough edges, whittles away the chaff of our life, whittles away the stuff that weighs us down and gets down to the meat of the matter and makes us who we are. It comes as we are formed by this grace, by, making, by being made holy, by being in places where God can speak to us, where God can work on us, being in places where we can mentally, physically, spiritually let God work through our lives. We are formed by grace into the image and likeness of the one that we follow, that Jesus the Christ who made the world new. 
See, when we allow ourselves that, we begin to understand what it means to be called children of God, to be heirs of this great promise of a new creation. But just as God is forming you and me individually, there's something else mystical that's happening as we gather together, as we allow God to work on us, as we lean into our faith, as we explore this gift of grace, that we're being formed into a community of believers. We're being shaped and molded so that we can do ministry for the world that desperately needs what we have found in this place. Verses 19 and 20, Paul writes not only about the church in Galatia as individuals, but about them as a community. He says, the pangs of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, meaning I pang, I hurt until you own this salvation that's available to you because he so wants the church there to realize their potential that it's not just about salvation on a personal level, but it's about witnessing to the world and about the building of the glory of God's kingdom, about doing our part to restore creation, that relationship that God wants with us. It's about a faith that calls us in a relationship with God, yes, but one that calls us in a relationship with one another as the body of Christ. See, friends, what we know to be true is this, that we are better together than we are apart that we can do more together when we're working together for the same purposes, that we can do more for the kingdom when we work as a team, as a community, as a family. I mean, we learned this two years ago in the shutdown when we couldn't be together. We were doing all of us our best. We learn it when there's times of high vacation traffic and the sanctuary is a little more empty. We learn how we miss each other, how we miss what we learn from each other, how we grow together, how our conversations point us to what God wants for us. See, the grace that we receive from God compels us to share that grace with each other, to look each other in the eyes with forgiveness and grace, with peace and reconciliation. See, grace talks about us being formed as individuals in the image of God. But think about this image of God and within our community, this idea of a body of Christ, where where we are united under grace, despite our vast differences. Where we're united under grace because we have one singular purpose, to follow Jesus, to make disciples, to change the world around us. See, what we learn is that when we share the journey together, it becomes a shared existence. When one of us succeeds, we all succeed. I think about, if you open the paper today, there's the awards page, and maybe this week, I haven't even gotten there yet, but some weeks when you read there, you see church members, fellow Christians here as a part of this congregation, you see that they got a promotion or an award, and you celebrate with them. When one of us wins, we all win. Or maybe if you turn a few pages back and you get to obituary section and you see where one of us has passed away or the family member of one of ours has passed away. When we hurt, we all hurt. So when we win, if we all win, when we hurt, when we all hurt, then it stands to reason that when one of us grows, we all grow. In a few weeks, we will celebrate our confirmands. They were away this past weekend on a confirmation retreat. And so in a few weeks, they will come and stand right in front of you, and they will say, this is what I believe, that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. 
and I'm going to do all in my power to follow him. Their growth is a result of us growing together, but their growth propels us to grow as well. See, when we share this journey, this journey called life, and we share it faithfully through the church, what we begin to realize is that we can change the world because as we are being formed into the image of Christ, then all of a sudden the issues that face our community, whether it's hunger, health, housing, education, whatever, they can't win because we are a new creation and the one that changes everything. So as I think about what Paul is writing to us today, I think about that bear sitting on my shelf. I think about Sam Taylor taking a block of wood and just looking at it and then figuring out that there's a bear within and carving it out patiently, committedly, with the skill in life. And imagine what did God see when he looked at the block of my life? What did God see and how has God's grace shaped me into who I am? You are a part of that journey. But I encourage you to look in the mirror this afternoon. I encourage you to look in the mirror, maybe in the car before you go home, and look in the mirror and say, what did God see in you? How has God formed you, shaped you, been patient with you to knock off the rough edges and to smooth out the sharp spots. How has God's grace shaped us? And then think of us gathered here. This inheritance we received, that we are heirs of this, this heirs of grace as individuals, as heirs of God's promise as a community. But in that, we begin to see that grace is, God's grace is active in our lives around us. That God's grace is cutting through the block, cutting through the heavy stuff, cutting through the baggage, forming us, shaping us, refining us, smoothing us, all for one purpose. To be in ministry to the world around us as the body of Christ, as his new creation, to look at the world and say that you are loved and that you matter. And if you come and walk alongside us, you will see that grace is forming and shaping you and you will be formed and shaped alongside us. And together we will form and shape and change the world just as God intended. So as we come to the table of the Lord this morning, I hope that we have all of that in mind and be conscious of the ways that God is working in our midst to make a difference, to shape and to form the world around us. All of it through his grace, his love, and his mercy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings.